0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: And you have to recognize that if you move into this neutrality area, you actually do open yourself up for all kinds of possibilities. We lived, uh, we, did, we took four sabbaticals in Germany. Uh, in Germany, the first day you go to class, if you're if you're a child, you have to declare your religious commitment uh, because they have religion classes in the schools, and so my children were asked if they were Catholic or Evangelish, and which is Catholic <laughs> or Protestant, uh, and um, and my girls at the time they were they were nine and eight. Um, didn't know the answer to the question, and so uh, uh, and so they said, "Well, we're just Christian. Can that be okay?" <laughs> and and uh, so uh, once we got that all sorted out, they did end up in schools that covered all kinds of religious beliefs. Um, so they heard about you know Buddhism and Confucianism and etc. They even heard about Satanism uh, in a w- in a way in which the teacher one year for one of the classes for one of my daughters uh, uh, focused on that for almost inordinately, but that comes with the territory, and we were feeling like, you know, we were going through this experience completely opposite from the type of experience you go through in America with our kids in the schools, and and our feeling was, well, we'd rather have that open public square environment recognizing that means you're going to hear all kinds of things than to have the kind of environment that says you can't even talk about this at all. Um, Because we actually think that's more a reflection of the real world that we live in. People have religious beliefs of all kinds and sorts, and you're going to be relating to people who relate out of those realities. In terms of how they perceive uh, their take on the world. So being aware of that's actually a pretty important part of of engaging not just in American society, but in society at large. And so it seems to me to be uh, not just a not just a legally wise policy, but just a practically wise policy. No, I think you're right. Uh, you know the, the example that comes to mind the
2: most for me is graduations. Mm-hmm. There's been a case at the Supreme Court, That again, I think is just a a badly uh, decided case where they didn't allow prayer at graduations, Um, and uh, um, and it was it was an incredibly innocuous prayer, by the way. It was uh, by a a, you know it was it was I think it was by a Jewish uh, speaker, and it was declared unconstitutional. Justice Kennedy was the swing vote and Mm -hmm. ruled that way, and so. We can step back from the legal a second. Um, and by the way, we're fighting a lot of cases now where people say, well, since since they couldn't do that, mm-hmm. then when a valedictorian wants to say something religious, we have to stop that. We're like, oh, no, that's not what the case is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The case is about the government establishing a prayer as part of mm-hmm. the graduation. That's very different from a valedictorian who wins the right to speak and mm-hmm. then expresses a religious thought. Now, Now, if the government interferes, they are violating the Constitution very mm-hmm. clearly. Um, but just stepping back from a policy side, because I think this is good to think about. I mean, you know, and I'll be in debates with atheists or agnostics on this, and I'll say, you know, we're, we're trying to get to sort of how you live in a diverse society. Mm-hmm. One approach is shut down everybody who says things that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's never been our approach in this country. That makes for a lot of silence. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the better approach is let people say what they're going to say and then talk to your children. This is a graduation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the parents are there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're really concerned that, so you know, well, what if somebody said something different from your religion? It was like, well, you know, if the rabbi got up, I would probably expect him to say something slightly different from my religion. Uh, you know, who, whatever faith it is, mm-hmm. I would see that as a wonderful opportunity to talk to my children. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, you know, they believe that. Here's how we differ. We love religious freedom. We're glad they can express what they believe and live that fully, and we can too. I mean, that's the answer. That's as a, on a policy side. That's a much better way to deal with those situations than this idea of shutting down valedictorian. I mean, the last valedictorian case we had, there was literally a an order from a federal judge telling the, the students, the children, that if they mentioned God or prayer at the graduation, that they would violate his order and then he would enforce his order by, quote, incarceration. Hmm. He literally threatened jail if kids mentioned God. Hmm. And so we actually had to to jump in on behalf of the valedictorian, go all the way to the federal court of appeals. We won, mm-hmm. but this was not some Yahoo or some crazy person on the radio or on TV. This
1: was a federal judge who had issued this order. So uh, we're talking about the difference really between engagement and a kind of censorship that that uh, really is not a reflection of the kind of open society that that uh, we would hope would have been created. Let's go. We're, we're time is slipping away from us here. I'm getting nervous. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about some specific cases. Um, uh, I remember the first time I heard you speak on this. Uh, you mentioned a case that involved veterans. Mm. And I remember thinking about this case and going, uh, what was being done and said about it and how it worked. And I went, I mean, it's almost unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, um, so talk about this case. This is the this is a California case. Um, talk about this case and kind of what it went through and and how because it kind of illustrates the problem. Yeah. The uh, I know the case
2: you're talking about is the Mojave Desert yes. uh, Veterans Memorial case, and this really starts back in 1934. These were World War One vets who came back from the war. Um, they, t- to be honest, they weren't particularly religious people. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't pray over their meals mm-hmm. or, or really do anything, but but they they saw a lot and uh, and a lot. To be honest, a lot of people died in World War One from the Spanish flu, so they were actually advised by doctors to go into a very dry climate. So this group went into the desert, the Mojave Desert, to prospect, hmm. and that's where they lived in the hmm. desert. And they just decided they wanted to do something to remember those who had given sacrifice. So in the middle of 1.6 million acres of desert, mm-hmm. they put a seven-foot cross, um, just lone cross. And on the bottom, they had a VF, their VFW post number, and it just said, for the dead of all wars. Hmm. And so I don't think they meant anything religious by it. Mm-hmm. They just were – Recognizing people who had died, commemorating death and sacrifice, exactly. Yeah, and and sat there for seventy years until the ACLU brought a lawsuit. I don't know if they were, you know, I, I someone this, must have been on a drive. Yeah, well, <laughs> you you really have to look to find this. It was yeah. actually they found a park ranger who worked out there at one point and knew about it mm-hmm. and filed a lawsuit to have it torn down after seventy years. And uh, you know, fortunately, we hooked up with the. Uh, the 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 veteran the last living World War I vet before he died turned to this other guy, Henry Sandoz, mm-hmm. and he said, Henry, when I pass away, will you watch over this memorial? Hmm. And so for you know 25 years, Henry and Wanda, his wife, would go out there and check on it in the middle of the desert, just make sure it's okay. Sometimes vandals would do things, and mm-hmm. they'd just re- reconstitute it and make sure it was in place because he wanted to honor those veterans. Um, and so he was just appalled that there was not only a lawsuit – but the federal judge, both the District Court and Court of Appeals, ordered, tear it down. Hmm. And so at that point, uh, we realized, okay, this is – they're going to tear down a Veterans Memorial that's been up for 70 years. Uh, and we can talk about in, in a minute what that would mean mm-hmm. beyond this one case, mm-hmm. but it was just horrifying enough for that one case. And uh, so we, we were contacted by all the major veterans groups, the American Legion, the VFW, the uh, um, American ex prisoners of War, Military Order of the Purple Heart, and on their behalf, we filed a motion uh, in the Supreme Court to say, "Oh no, don't don't allow this to happen." And uh, our brief ended up uh, getting cited 13 times in the Supreme Court's opinion when they reversed hmm. the the you know. And but this is, I don't know if people can see this, but I mean, yeah. this is what happened you on give appeal. Give me. I can. Yeah. there's a camera over here. I can that is what happened on appeal they ordered that this cross this memorial be covered in a bag and there's a there's a chain around the bottom with a padlock on it hmm. Uh, and you look at that picture and you think, you know, what country is this in? You know what? Uh, and it's in the United States. Looks like a collapsed air balloon or something. Yeah, and you can tell. The thing that's frightening is you can tell that's a cross uh-huh. in there. Yeah, and uh, and they're trying to suffocate the cross. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, yes, we won, and so people say, so why do you make a big deal? You know, the ACLU lost their lawsuit. You got a victory at the Supreme Court. Well, you know, that was 5-4. Mm-hmm. So that picture is the law if you change one justice. Mm-hmm. just shows people how close we are to maybe losing some things, and it's not over. That We have five more of these that we're doing right now, Veterans Memorials that are being attacked. Probably the most well-known is Mount Soledad mm-hmm. outside of San Diego, which is – that's a, a memorial that's been there since 1956. It's mm-hmm. got – 3,400 plaques around it. It's a cross with about 3,400 plaques to soldiers of all faiths with menorah, you know, all all kinds of symbols, stars of David, things uh, on their on their plaques. Uh, and again, there's there's now an order to tear that down within 90 days. Now we got to stay while we're going mm-hmm. on appeal, but there is an attempt, a clear attempt
1: by the ACLU and these groups. They want the religious symbols down. You know, it's interesting if you if you survey the war uh, cemeteries in Europe where American soldiers live. uh, It's pretty interesting to walk through uh, those cemeteries where you see a mixture of crosses and stars of David, et cetera. And and, uh, there's something about the personal identity of the person who's buried. That is being commemorated on the gravestone as a part of this is a part of who this person was. Um, What right does the government have to um, censor that part of their identity? Well, there'd be
2: none. I mean, you know, that'd even be a stronger case. and uh, but I think that's where it leads. I mean, you know, let's say that they they didn't win Mojave, but let's say the Mount Soledad, which has been there since 1956. Well, what if this order to tear it down were to win out in the courts, all the way up the, the Court of Appeals? Well, number one, everybody would see that on TV. They would see kind of like the Saddam Hussein statue mm-hmm. going down. They would see the bulldozer to this uh-huh. memorial It'd be a horrifying, I think, thing for all the veterans to see and even people of faith to see. But what, what precedent does that set? Mm-hmm. I mean, if that one has to come down, then you've got to go to Arlington Memorial. There's a 24-foot uh, cross there, the Cross of Sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, that's not on a person's grave. It's, it was given to us by Canada. It's the mm-hmm. Cross of Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There's the Argonne Cross, which is 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier that says, known but to God. you got to you know sandblast that off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of religious cleansing that would have to occur – Across the country, I mean, in every community of every state of this country, I think would be beyond anybody's understanding. And this is kind of what we we're talking about earlier, that this country has a religious heritage. There, You're going to find secular monuments and religious monuments, and that's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay to have all those things. This sort of uh, you know, mission to tear down and to sandblast all the religious things away is – really not compatible with, you know, our country, our constitution, but this is the attempt, and this is what they want. You take down – and some people sometimes say, and I know I was this way at first, oh, it's a a symbol. Mm -hmm. What do you care about it? Symbols are really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they actually bring together a lot of ideas into into one, you know, concrete uh, image. And if you notice what like the USSR and these groups, when they take over, the first thing they do is take down all the religious symbols mm-hmm. and put up the new government symbols. So there, it is really important. I think these symbols are very important that we have in our public uh, arena, both
1: religious and secular symbols. So we really are. The, 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 you know, we've worked hard at, at kind of describing the scene. But I think what's really important about the conversation is we're not just talking about the defense of constitutional rights, although that's important. But we're also talking about the character of the society that we're going to live in. And uh, what kind of society is it going to be? Is it a society of engagement? Is it a society of censorship? Is it a society that says, oh, you can't do that because I'm offended, but if you get to do what you want to do, then the (laughs) offense just simply is in reverse. And so, um, you know, so how does that work? And does that really – the odd thing is, the ironic thing I think is, is that the people who sometimes are arguing for this are – Contending, they're defending diversity, yes. when in fact they're actually not. No, you're
2: exactly right, and uh, you know I can think. There's a lot of um, examples of this, and I just think of the past couple of weeks of our cases alone. I mean, a little second grader who was told she couldn't read her Bible during free reading time. Uh, a little five year old girl who was actually stopped from from praying over her meal at school uh, because that was quote, not good, is mm-hmm. what she was told. Um, and I think of all these, but probably the one that really, I think, gets your point across that you're making there is, had a little girl we represented. I'm thinking she was probably seven, eight, nine years old. They did this, uh, when you ran a certain distance, you could, at a certain time, you would trace around your foot, mm-hmm. and you'd put it up on the wall.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, she did it, mm-hmm. and it was her turn. And it, everybody would write a little something on there, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jenny loves Johnny, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, she wrote, "Jesus loves me." Hmm. Very innocent. Mm-hmm. This—that's what she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, well, the teacher rips this down and says, "You can't put this up here." Well, she goes home crying mm-hmm. to her dad, saying, "You know, this is what happened." Well, he calls us, and we call the school. And by this time, they realize, "Oops." You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> And so they go back to her without telling the parents or us, trying to correct it before we can even get there. Mm-hmm. And they say, go ahead and do another one. Mm-hmm. She does another one. It's exactly like the first one, except instead of Jesus loves me, that's out there where mm-hmm. everybody – there's a little bitty cross mm-hmm. in the very qu- – that's all you can see. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's a picture of what happened to her internally. Mm-hmm. She learned – to hide her faith mm-hmm. to to be ashamed of it mm. um, and you hope that she can break out of that but i mean it's going to be hard because mm-hmm. uh, she they're very impressionable at that age and i thought what a what a disaster you know that that's what we do to children when you create that atmosphere in society that the crosses and the religious things aren't allowed anywhere and probably, ooh you know it's mm-hmm. like the new pornography mm-hmm. um that that goes all the way down to the children and really affects them and, and how they can grow up and be open and honest about who they are and what they believe and what their faith perspective is. And I think that's, that's very damaging to the country, but that whole approach is so important in so many different ways.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Truths Podcast. I'm sure you've been there.
1: Now we're not going to have enough time to explore this, but I'm going to get it started because it gives me an excuse to invite you back to talk more. <laughs> but um, but we have another set of cases, and I would say there are two types that are out there that also um, impact this area, and 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 the two types are the cases where someone is asked to participate in a right that by conscience they feel uncomfortable participating in in supportive same-sex marriages and the cases – we've had the case of I think it's the flower shop and the photographer um, uh, in two different states. That's one kind. And then the other is – are the um, requirements of health laws that are asking um, schools, religious schools and churches and, well, whoever has to cover employees, and um, even even for profits, um, to engage in practices that morally they have questions about. These, these are two other major areas. We've just talked about the general area, really, right. but these are two specific kinds of cases that are coming down the pike and, and that we're looking at. How, how should we – I'm going to ask a generic question because there's no way in the time we have left we can cover this, but um, how should we look at these kinds of cases? Because they do pre- present some interesting additional contrast than the straight religious right question. Well,
2: I think they're very important, um, and it's kind of like we talked about earlier. If you lose – if they give the government the power over people's religious conscience, um, even if you're an atheist, you've now lost, mm-hmm. because they have a right over your conscience, too. And sort of once they wedge in there, uh, and this is why, the, again, the founders called this the first freedom, mm-hmm. because if you lose it, you're going to lose all your political freedom. And it's because that's the, probably the most powerful place the government could have over you if mm-hmm. it controls this. And I'll, let's take the the, the care cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think most people, when they see the little sisters of the poor, mm-hmm. a bunch of nuns, mm-hmm. being told that they have to provide sterilization for the other nuns, which violates their faith, mm-hmm. and abortion-causing drugs, which violates their faith, mm-hmm. I think almost everybody goes, what? Mm-hmm. What? You're, you're trying to force them to do what? And, and, and all of these – we have a number of these cases around the country uh, with, uh, you know, Religious schools mm-hmm. uh, and, and
1: organizations, as well as for profit. Yeah, I'm uh, on the board or, of Wheaton College. We're in the middle of one of these cases. I'm actually on a task force that's looking at this issue. Well, and here's the issue and, and the
2: thing that to me is a way to really simplify it. If the government wants to provide these morally objectionable things, then the government should provide them. Mm-hmm. But the idea that they have the right to force you or me or people that are watching this. To violate their conscience to accomplish the government's goals, I mean that's just morally wrong, mm-hmm. and it's and it's exactly why we have uh, religious freedom. I mean, one of the reasons, and we you you referenced this earlier, mm-hmm. why religious freedom exists and why the founders knew they needed to provide it is if you force people ultimately to choose between their God and their government, mm-hmm. many people will choose God, mm-hmm. and you will have anarchy. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're courting with this type of thing where they're trying to force people to violate their conscience. That's why you have all these stories of Hobby Lobby saying, you know, this company was built on these Christian principles and prayer. We're not going to do this. We're not going to provide things and violate our faith. Certainly the Little Sisters of the Poor, the nuns, are not (laughs) going to violate Mm -hmm. their faith. And I think a lot of people around the country, you know, will say, no, I won't do it. And uh, that's it's, that's why I say this is a very important concept. You don't want the government to have the right to come in. It's different from you you doing something, and the government saying stop that, mm-hmm. uh, and you saying, but I'm doing this out of my faith. That's those are those are important cases, and we fight over those cases. This is the government saying I'm going to force you to affirmatively do something that violates your faith. Mm-hmm that is like the ultimate intolerance mm-hmm. it's it's um, because the government doesn't have to have you do it mm-hmm. i mean there's no reason why somebody else can't provide i mean you know there's they don't have to have the the you know the religious employers provide the thing that violates that's the tragedy
1: in this for me as i look at it is, is why is it that you force the employer or the school or, whatever, or the church uh, to provide this when it would be just as easy in a, in a generic way to underwrite it, pay for it, and then it becomes the, – the. as long as the person has access to, to it – if we're going to create a neutral playing ground, as we've talked right. about, as long as the person has access to it and they make the choice about what they are dealing with, why do you force another – Person to make a choice they don't want to make. Yeah, and
2: that, and it's it's just a, a power that if you ever give the government, it's it's chilling.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, if the government can now tell anybody in the country to engage in affirmative acts that the government mandates that violate your faith, I mean, I don't know what's left mm-hmm. at that point. So it's a, it's a very, it's a very important. These cases are very important cases. I think the other cases you mentioned are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they're a little different mm-hmm. because uh, it's 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 the government's involvement is they're being brought in sort of as the as the stick yeah. uh, at the end. But the thing about those is there's some similar uh, similar issues, which is the idea that as a you know if if you're in a state where it's now you know under the laws there two men can mm-hmm. you know go and, and be you know married mm-hmm. um, or two women. Uh, I really don't think that there's a lack of photographers or you know, mm-hmm. florists or bakers. Mm-hmm. So what these cases really are is sort of a hunting around to mm-hmm. find the person that has a religious objection and, and then to see if we can use the government to, to really put the screws to them to force them to violate their conscience or punish them. And I just think that's really sad. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not what our country was built to do at all. I mean, again, I think uh, let people follow their beliefs. I mean, understand people are going to disagree about the issue of marriage. Certainly uh, those of faith that follow biblically are going to you know, stand on God's definition, but whatever, and even if people disagree with that, I would fight for their right to disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how our country is supposed to work. Not oh, let's see if I can find the guy. I found somebody who disagrees with me. Let's see if I can get the government to really punish them for disagreeing with me. I, I don't. I don't even comprehend that mindset. It's but an in-your-face approach to things. It's and it's it's not what this country is like. It's mm-hmm. it's it's repugnant, mm-hmm. uh, which is why even you know, there's people like Andrew. Sullivan, who's mm-hmm. a very uh, well-known, you know, gay activist, who basically says, "If this is what my movement is about, I'm out." Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's even some of those who have said, "This is this is way too far." But uh, that's what those cases are about. and I think they're wrong. But I, I think the the Supreme Court decision uh, with Hobby Lobby and Con- Conestoga Wood will begin giving us some solution to this. Probably won't hear until late June. Mm-hmm. Um, But still, even after that, I still think we're going to have to fight all these nonprofit cases with uh, Christian colleges, uh, with seminaries, with all of them because there's a different provision. That's right. There's three layers, and and, and so I think I think almost unless the court just goes ahead and takes care of everything there with some comments, which they don't typically do. They, They typically decide the case before them. I think we're still going to have a fight on the right of these ministries to not be forced to violate their faith, which I think is incredible that we're even having this kind of a discussion.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, my understanding is – and I'm not a lawyer, but but we – I've been listening to a lot of lawyers lately, <laughs> uh, is that there are really three levels in the healthcare case. There's There are churches, which are automatically uh, excluded. Yes. Um, there are the institutions like the seminaries and the Bible colleges, which are seen to be close enough to institutions that they've been granted, uh, in effect, a, a temporary waiver while all these are being decided. And the non-profits are, are – are, sorry, the for-profits are, are not covered, and that's the Hobby Lobby case. right um, And so, uh, so we've even got gradations in how this is being looked at as, as the attempt is to, to, um, to say, well, that's really religious. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's sort of religious, and that's not religious at all. Yeah. And, uh, and and I guess that's the basis for the for the creation of the distinction. Well, and
2: there's a, there's a different provision that's offered where they try to sort of they tried to paper over the nonprofit problem mm-hmm. by creating sort of a uh, an accounting fiction to kind of get around uh-huh. uh, them having to technically pay for. And mm-hmm. of course, it doesn't work. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what they don't understand is if if something violates somebody's conscience and they're Sort of the the vehicle for making it seem to contribute to the
1: action, yeah. They're
2: not, they're not, it's still a violation of their religious conscience, they're not going to participate in that, even if it's indirectly. Mm -hmm. They can't, and uh, and so, but that provision will mean there's still uh, no matter what probably happens in those cases. I think we've got more litigation, uh, and we represent, uh, we've probably got. I don't know, 20 to 40 Christian colleges alone that we haven't filed lawsuits on because we're waiting until this decision, which will then give us more information so that we can then file those. And so there's there's a real battle ahead. But again, I just want people to understand the overall concept. It's the idea of the government trying to force, in this case, I mean, religious organizations to violate their conscience. Mm -hmm. I mean, groups like a group of nuns. Mm-hmm. That's one of the cases, mm-hmm. and uh, it just shows how completely out of touch this is. Uh, and the really sad thing is, none of it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, this is all because of a regulation. And to be honest with you, I think most of us know why. It's it was a political calculation of ginning up the the. You know the abortion groups mm-hmm. that are—that's a really important issue within the Democratic mm-hmm. Party, and so they—they they worked on that to try to push that to make that an issue, and in the process created this huge religious freedom issue. Um, and it wasn't necessary; it still isn't necessary. And uh, I'm hopeful the court's going to say that you—you you can't force people to violate their faith. That's, yeah,
1: and what we're talking about here is thinking through how what the kind of society we're going to be a, a part of, and what what. The Constitution as has outlined for us, and the debates that rotate around that. Uh, well, Kelly, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with. Me. We we've I say this all the time at the end of these. Broadcasts, we only scratched the surface and barely gotten started, and I, I suspect when we get the Hobby Lobby decision and we can take a good look at, at what that actually means, I may invite you back to help us uh, sort through these more particular cases. Having kind of done a general look at religious liberty, but it is a very important freedom uh, that we've been given. It's a unique part of what our country uh, has been built around. It sets the tone in our society for how we engage with one another in the midst of our differences. It actually is an affirmation of diversity, and it needs to be protected uh, as a – as a as it was intended in terms of the way it was originally given to us. Well,
2: and I, and I would tell people, you know, if they ever have a question on any of this, they can always call us. We're, you're free. Um, and we have a lot of educational materials on our website at libertyinstitute.org where, like, what are the rights of students in public schools? Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, what are the rights of people of faith in the military? Hmm. Um, and an 800 number for anybody in the military to call if they have any incidents or problems or even as – as somebody who is in command over others, what they can and cannot do, and so all that's available on the website. Because when people have that information, they're empowered to to live out freely how they're being called to do that. Well, great. I
1: appreciate it, Kelly, and, and uh, the, uh, thank you for helping us with this very important area of of, of really uh, political and social discussion in in our in our country. And we thank you for being a part of the table uh, where we discuss issues of God and culture.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast.